0: We're going to be looking at that passage together. It's on page 808 in the Church Bible. If you wouldn't mind taking that out and turning there, I think you'll benefit from following along in the passage. Uh, We're in a series this season on community. Last week, Matt introduced the series talking about gospel community. uh, And and he introduced his sermon talking about the uh, atheist church called Sunday Assembly, a church-like gathering for atheists. community without any other purpose other than itself, community for the sake of community. And in a big, lonely city like ours, we shouldn't be surprised that people sometimes join our community also for very similar reasons, not really wanting to grow closer to God, not wanting to live a holy life, not wanting others to become Christians, simply wanting friends. And if that's why you're here, you are most welcome to be here. You are most welcome to be with us with this caveat, please don't try to dissuade our community from exist, existing for a greater purpose because we are here for a greater purpose. As Matt said last Sunday uh, in his message on gospel community, our community is founded on the gospel of Jesus. We are gathered around the risen Lord Jesus. He is in the center of our community. And because of him, we have a a renewed relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's the vertical dimension, and then through him we are able to love our neighbors, and that's the horizontal dimension. And so we are a community, but we don't exist for the sake of ourselves. We exist for God and for the sake of others. Um, We exist indeed for the life of the world. Uh, Martin Luther King, who we celebrate tomorrow, um, said from a Birmingham jail, 1963, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. That's a risk we run if our community exists for the sake of itself, an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. We exist for a greater purpose. And this Sunday, we're talking about one of the implications of being a gospel community. We're a growing community. Um, One of the first implications of all of this gospel business is that we will grow because Jesus is in the center of our congregation. It's his resurrection life that sustains us and flows out of us, and it's kind of like a river at flood stage. It flows out. And, and we can't stop it. It goes out from us and reaches other people, spreading and swallowing up death wherever it flows. It can't be contained. And so a gospel community is a growing community. And that's, I think, what today's gospel lesson is going to show us. Uh, you can follow along in chapter 5 of Luke, page 808. Um, let's pray as we turn to this passage. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent your son into the world to set things right. And thank you for the hope that we have in him and for the life that he brings to our friends. We praise you that you enlighten those who call out to you and ask for your help. And so we pray to you tonight that you would help us to encounter you through this gospel passage. Help us to meet you in this time. Send your spirit upon us to enlighten us, to give us hope and light, and direct our steps. And this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage together, I want to point out the miracle of a growing community. I want to point out the greater power of a growing community and the greater calling of a growing community. First of all, the greater miracle of a growing community. As I I said, Jesus is right at the center of our community. He's our king, and just as he did with Peter, he calls us to be fishers of men and women. That's a part of our calling, and that turns us into a growing community. So this, yes, this is the evangelism sermon, but it's hopefully going to be okay. Hopefully um, it'll be helpful because there's really good news in this passage about this topic. Sharing Jesus with others is an uncomfortable topic. It always is because we live in a world that's hostile to talking about any kind of religious anything. Um, bringing the topic up in, in, in public is always impolite, and uh, our culture is hostile, increasingly hostile to Christianity, and we don't want to experience that personally. Sharing Jesus with others is also uncomfortable because it tests our likability, doesn't it? We, uh, Most of us have come to this city because somehow or another we found out how to have a little bit of charisma <laughs> and to uh, woo people. That's why the politicians are here, and that's why a lot of us are here. I know that I was at least able to woo one person in my life. I got married long ago, but that was through a sneak attack. She thought she was marrying a doctor. Uh, I, fooled, I fooled her fooled her. But uh, most of us have at least some, deg- some degree of skill in uh, you know, personal charm. But when it comes to sharing Jesus, are we charming enough to overcome the deep discomfort people have with talking about religion? In other words, do I have enough charisma to woo people to Jesus, the Savior of the world? I am deeply skeptical that I do. And I don't want to find out if I'm right. Often we think of evangelism as some work that we do, rather than something that God does through us. We may believe in salvation by grace, but when it comes to evangelism, we've fallen into a trap of believing that it's through our works. When in actuality, it is a miracle it is a miracle when evangelism happens, when it works. And that's what I want you to see from this passage today. Luke 5, 1 to 11 is a miracle story, isn't it? With Jesus in the boat, Peter and his pals are able to pull in this massive haul of fish, right? They are breaking the nets. They're swamping the first boat Peter kind of signals secretly, quietly, hey, bring out the other boat. He doesn't want all the other fishermen who are on the shore to hear that they've found a hot spot, right? And so he, he brings the other guys out. They bring that boat out, and the second boat starts to swamp. And so it is a dream come true for fishermen. This is something Peter has been longing for all of his life. He's been hoping one day he would come back with two boats full, you know, hundreds and hundreds of fish. Now it's happened, and it's all because Jesus went out with him and told him where to fish. So this is a miracle story, absolutely, but is that what it's about? Is that what the story is about? I don't think that it's about that miracle. I think rather the miracle is an illustration or a demonstration that Jesus is using to introduce Peter to a miraculous way of life. That is what is awaiting him as a Christian. The lesson of this story is what the rabbis used to call a light and heavy or light to heavy kind of argument. Uh, In Latin, it's an a fortiori argument, moving from the lesser to the greater. Jesus used this kind of argument all the time, sometimes in talking, sometimes in actions. Uh, One time he says, Hey, if, if, if it's okay from the scriptures to take a sheep out of a pit and save it on the Sabbath, how much more is it okay to heal someone on the Sabbath? See how that works? That's from the lesser to the greater. A, a sheep is lesser, a person is greater. The, the person is even more worth saving. In today's story with the miraculous catch of fish, Jesus is making a similar point by demonstration with Peter. In calling Peter to become an evangelist in an even more hostile society then than it is today, if you think about it, Jesus intended to convince Peter of an even greater miracle than a huge catch of fish. Jesus wanted to show Peter the greater miracle of a growing community. We can see this better if we look at the passage and scope out around the miracle. Let's look before it a little ways and after it a little ways, starting in verse 4. Before the miracle, Jesus told Peter where to fish, saying, put out into the deep and let your net down for a catch. And For most, all of us, I would imagine this sounds like a really good idea because none of us know a thing about fishing, um, or most of us don't, for Peter, this sounded like a really bad idea because Peter had grown up in Capernaum. Um, probably his dad, Jonah, was a fisherman. Uh, he probably knew exactly where to fish and when to fish, and he, he knew that this was the wrong time. Peter said um, to Jesus, uh says master in our translation, is probably not nearly as nice, it's something like, Mr. or teacher, (laughs) we toiled all night. We caught nothing. But at your word, I'll do it one more time. And implicit in this response are a few things that landlubbers wouldn't catch, like the fact that the fish are hiding in the daytime. They are not out. uh, They're only out at night. That's when you go out there to catch them. The nets that they had back then were not made with you know, clear monofilament line. They were made with thick, kind of hempy cords. And uh, the fish could see those. The fish could also see the boats in the daytime. So you wouldn't go out in the daytime to try to catch the fish. The fish were hiding under the rocks in the daytime. Uh, also, you wouldn't go out into the deep. You would go somewhere where fresh water was flowing into the lake somewhere uh, where the fish could feed. And so Peter knew these things. And Peter knew that Jesus' plan for fishing in the deep water was really, really dumb. Jesus was from uh, the, the hills up uh, in Nazareth, where there weren't any lakes. Peter knew better. But he, he, he agreed, nevertheless, probably just to show Jesus, hey, you're a rabbi. You stick with the scriptures. Let me stick with the fishing. He, he agreed one time to go out. And then you know, the miracle happened. The miracle happened. They pulled in this huge catch of fish. And now look what happened after the miracle in verse 8. Peter, deeply convicted, falling down before Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's gone from Mr. to Lord, to King. He recognizes Jesus for who he really is. What's happened to Peter through this miracle? What's happened to him? At the least, he's convicted for doubting where Jesus knew where to fish, right? He, he Now he knows, but uh, something more important is happening because he, he's realizing that uh, Jesus knows where to fish every day. <laughs> Jesus could be going out there and hauling in this great catch every day, and he's not. He chooses not to do it because, if you pardon the expression, Jesus had bigger fish to fry. Jesus was after something much greater, and and. And Peter's vision for success was tiny. It was parochial. It was just, you know, uh, when I grow up, I'd like to catch a boat full of fish someday. And Jesus' vision is to catch the whole world. So Peter uh, is having his vision expanded through this lesser to greater, light to heavy kind of argument. Jesus wants Peter to set his sights on a growing community. I think one way to understand this is uh, maybe a a little bit of a heretical illustration. Imagine that you're walking along the beach. Uh, It's after a storm, and you are kind of looking at all the flotsam and jetsam that have washed up. You see something shiny there in the seaweed. You walk up, pick it up, and lo and behold, it's an Aladdin's lamp. And so you do what you you do with one of these. You start rubbing it, and uh, of course, the smoke comes out. And then it's Jesus, not a genie. And you say, Jesus, what in the world are you doing in this object of Islamic devotion? And, and he says, don't worry about it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, just bear with me. This is for a sermon illustration. And uh, can we get on with the three wishes, please? And then, you know, uh, what would you wish for? What would you wish for? Uh, Of course, you say something nice, faith, hope, and love. But he says, no, really, what would you wish for? Um, If it were me, I I would ask for a beach house. I would ask for uh, college tuition for my kids. I'd ask for a world in which the Star Wars prequels were never made. (laughs) Um, But we would get through it, and then Jesus at the end would not go back into the lamp, but he would say instead, do you want to know what I would have wished for? And then he would show us, he would show us a world in which all of the little things pale in comparison to the grand things that he has in store. He would take us on a tour of that world, and he would say, no, 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 you can keep your things. It's okay." but I want you to come with me and be a part of this world. That's what Jesus is doing for Peter in this miracle. It's about a lot more than a boat full of fish. So here's the point. In this day and age, what could possibly be more miraculous than seeing a friend or a coworker, or a neighbor Come to faith in Jesus. How could that possibly happen if he weren't present and working a miracle? And arguing from light to heavy, from the lesser to the greater, if Jesus can bless you with material things, and you know that he has, if Jesus can bless you with material things, then he can also bless you with this greater thing with the lost being found and brought into the growing community of Christ the King. It's a miracle. Our problem with evangelism is that we don't see it as a greater miracle. We think it depends on our own charisma, and as charming as we are, we simply aren't enough to woo people out of the darkness into the light. But Jesus is enough, and his miraculous power is enough to grow our community with new believers. So it's really helpful to think about evangelism, I think, as a divine miracle rather than a work of our own charisma. Uh, nevertheless, there, there has to be the question of how are we going to do this. And uh, so I want to move on and talk about the greater power of a growing community. And that greater power is the word of God. And if you take a look at how this story begins, you'll see this very clearly. It just jumps out off the page after after reading this and reading this and reading this and missing it, now here it is in bold print on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. You see it? There it is. Why was the crowd pressing in on Jesus? To hear the word of God. And Peter already knew of the priority of the word of God. Uh, some of the passages say, like in this Bible it says that the uh, that, uh heading that the ESV has added, Jesus calls the first disciples. That's a, that shouldn't be added there. Um, this is not a calling. This is a demonstration for the disciples. Uh, Peter has already met Jesus in chapter 4. Just look uh, back here at verse 31. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, and uh, they were astonished at his teaching, verse 32, for his word possessed authority. If you look at the end of the story, uh, after Jesus cast out a demon, verse 36, the people are like, what is this word? They're excited about the word of God. Verse 38, uh, Jesus goes over to Peter's house, and there's Peter's mother-in-law. Peter goes by Simon sometimes in these stories, same guy. And um, his mother-in-law is sick. And look at how Jesus heals. He stands over her, and he speaks a word. He rebukes the fever, and it left her. And so she's healed, and then let the healings begin. And Jesus is speaking words all over. He's traveling through the countryside, uh, preaching in different places. The crowds are after him. He's hiding in the wilderness from them just to get a break, to pray, and so on. They say, come on with us. He says, I have to keep moving. I have to keep preaching the word. Over and over again, he's taking the message to different places. He takes it down to Judea, and then chapter 5, verse 1, he comes back to Galilee. He's on the shore of the sea, And he is being pressed by the crowds. He has a problem because so many people want to hear the word of God. They're so hungry for it. What is he going to do? He turns to Peter and he says, I know you've been working all night. I know you should be sleeping right now. But do you mind rowing me out a little ways so that these people can hear the word of God? And Peter consents and takes him out so that the whole crowd can hear Jesus proclaim the word. It's the word that they're after. And what's really cool is how Jesus could have done this himself, but he calls on Peter to be of help to him, even though Peter was tired. And then Jesus gave Peter this wonderful gift in return. Not only is is he coming back in with a full boat of fish, but also the gift of an expanded vision of a growing community. I think it's a gift for us, too, as we go out into the world Fishing for women and men. We have power to attract people to Jesus, but it's not in our own charisma. Thankfully, we've got something much better, and it's the word of God. It's the word of God. What does it say in the Great Commission when Jesus sends out his disciples? It's to go out into the world, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. It's been the strategy from the very beginning of the gospel story. Jesus has been saying, bring them to me through the word of God. It takes all the pressure off of us, doesn't it? We just serve them a meal. We serve them a meal in the scriptures. If you are here tonight and you are not a Christian, we invite you to just do this on your own even. Just turn to the scriptures and begin to read them and see what happens. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in it. That's where we find the power for evangelism. There's simple ways to serve the Word of God to people. I think I'll send something out in the listserv this week to help uh, stimulate more discussion about this. One, there's a little book by David Helm called One-on-One Bible Reading. I'll share that with you. Uh, there's also a, a wonderful just sort of recipe for reading and asking questions with friends. Uh, called Discovery Bible, and I'll send that out for you guys as well. In any case, the word of God is the greater power for a growing community. Uh, one more thing I want to think about with you, and that is the greater calling of a growing community, looking at what Jesus said to Peter in the boat. Peter fell down before Jesus, verse 8. He said, Depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus, verse 10, said to him, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Now, note carefully what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say that it was wrong to eat fish, nor did he say it was wrong to catch fish. Um, And after his resurrection, he does have this great breakfast with his disciples on the beach where they have a fish fry. Um, And it's, it's very, very likely that um, during the lives of the disciples from that point forward, that there were many times where they needed to have some cash for their ministry and they would take up fishing again. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's not, a, there's not a, 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 an order here um, for you to quit your job and become an itinerant evangelist. That's not the point of this story It is rather an invitation to a greater calling to live for the Lord, seeking first his kingdom, and all of this other stuff will be added to you, Jesus says. So regardless of what you do for a living or whatever else brought you here to Washington, if you're a Christian, then you're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus. If you find yourself in this particular community, the Church of the Resurrection, founded on the risen Lord Jesus, then you're a part of what is a growing community. Because a gospel community should be a growing community. Living things grow, especially a living thing with Jesus, the risen Lord, right in the center. Jesus, his life flowing out of a church like ours, if it's not growing, makes you wonder whether the gospel is really at the center or not. One way our church is growing uh, is by children, right? Right? And uh, we are currently giving birth to a new child a week, once a week, in this congregation. That's the rate. Uh, A new one was born yesterday or the day before to the Lamborns, little Oliver Lamborn, praise God. We also have foster children in this congregation. And that's exciting because that is one way people come to know Jesus, right? Right. I am so thankful that my parents raised me as a Christian, and I came to know Jesus at an early age. I'm so thankful that my parents took me to church every Sunday, and there were adults in the different Sunday school classes that I attended who faithfully poured into me and helped me uh, form a faith that lasts. If it weren't for these people, I don't think I would be a Christian today, and I don't think that uh, what you see here would have happened today had it not been... For them. So I'm so thankful for them. We have a wonderful children's ministry in this church, a nascent youth group in this church. Help us build it in a way that the risen Lord Jesus is at the center of our ministry to children. Help us share the faith with these kids. Help us to build out the bench of volunteers such that when someone gets sick or somebody has a baby, which is happening all the time that uh, we are not thrown into catastrophe uh, needing to scramble for volunteers. The other way that our church is a growing community is by you all being fishers of men and women, bringing other people to him. Um, Common pushback that I hear from time to time about inviting others into our community is that it is disruptive to our community to have new people keep coming in. I want to say something about this. I want, first of all, for you to know, I know that living here is hard. And I know that the constant turnover is hard. Um, Things keep changing. The government keeps changing. Uh, Staffing keeps changing. Rental prices keep changing. Uh, Rental places keep turning over. The economy keeps changing. People are coming and going for schools and jobs and all sorts of reasons. With all this change, having good friends is precious but also precarious. We don't want anything to change. And oftentimes I hear from people, everything else is changing. I want to keep Church of the Resurrection just like it is. Me too. But that's not going to happen. It's outside of all of our control. Um, Things are changing and uh, we we're stuck with that because we're in the middle of a global city, and that's the nature of a city like this. And so, and and you know, at least I have been here longer than anyone else, except for maybe Jim. <laughs> maybe this was your vision before mine. But but um, we have seen so many good friends go over the years, and what we have found as a survival mechanism is that we have to keep inviting new people into the church, and we have to keep inviting new people into our lives. So we share the good news with others, and we invite people into the community selfishly for our own sakes as a survival technique. Um, Making new friends is a life essential if you live here. It's a key to survival. If you're not doing it, then it's time to start. We should be welcoming people in for our sakes. More importantly, though, we should be welcoming people in for their sakes. What do people need more than anything else? They need to know Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. I love this verse from First Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says about what he did for the Thessalonians. He says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul was willing to sacrifice income, resources, his own comfort, uh, his own plans, travel plans, all, all kinds of things in order to stay and be with these people, to sacrifice to be with these people so that they might come to know Jesus. Again, this quote from Dr. King from the Birmingham jail, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century, still true. We are not a social club. We are a gospel community and a growing community. We have a much greater calling than simply earning that next degree, or making partner, or getting a large Christmas bonus. Jesus sends us out as his fishers to draw the world to himself. And that's a sacrificial calling. So we draw people in for our own sakes, for their sakes. Most of all, we draw them in to know Jesus for his sake, for his glory, because someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Why not invite people to do that now? We should be a growing community. And I invite you to be a part of our growth. Will you be a fisher of men and women? It's Jesus' calling for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, what hope it is that you would work miraculously through us to provide for more than just our material needs, but that you would do this in our midst. So we cry out to you and say, Lord, work miracles all around us with our neighbors and friends, the people that you've put on our hearts people that are sitting here even this evening, we pray that you would be miraculously at work to lead them to you. And this we ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.